Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. We're so excited that you've chosen to be here with us this week as we worship together and learn more about God. For previous messages and past services, go to renaissancedecatur.org and click on the Church at Home tab. Now, enjoy the message. My name is Jeff. I am lead pastor here and... um, Welcome to week two of our Christmas series that we're calling Hope is Here. And our whole goal in this, and I mentioned this last week, as we just sort of march towards December 25th when we will celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our hope in these three weeks leading up to that is just to build a little anticipation. And to do that, we're hoping to just remind people who it is we're truly celebrating this Christmas season, who it is truly that was born in that um, manger in Bethlehem. Um, And and once we understand truly who he is, the son of God and what he's come to do, it should evoke inside of us just a, a desire to thank God for him, to worship him more. And so we want to add to your Christmas celebrations, whatever that looks like this year with your families, with COVID and all of that, we want to add to that just a level of appreciation and thankfulness to God and worship in the midst of all of that. Because it is great to celebrate Christmas with our families, and it's we're not trying to take Christmas back from consumerism. We'll let all the other people do that. We're just trying to add to your wonderful family celebrations the reality that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come that he's come to save us from the things that we can't save ourselves from. And he does all of that because of his great care and love for us. It's based on nothing that we do. And if you think that's good news, just say, yay. Yay. I don't believe you. Yes, it's wonderful news, yes. So um, I have a lot to say today. I don't know that I'll get through all of it. So let's just pray real quick. Would you bow your head with me? Lord God, thank you for everything that um, I just mentioned. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Help us to not forget this season, what that means for us. What has Jesus really done for us? Um, I pray, Lord, through your Holy Spirit that you would open up our um, hearts, that we would be motivated to worship, to move with gratitude, thankfulness for everything that you've done, and that we not lose sight of, of your great love for us in the midst of this crazy um, year and Christmas season. God, would you be with us today? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, I want to share a couple things um, out of the Bible, and if you're... Um, a Bible student, if you will, that should make you happy. I think all churches should preach from the Bible. Just say amen, I'll move on. I think we should preach from the Bible. I think it's important. But I want to say a couple things about the Bible that might be helpful to some of you. Um, The Bible is, we call it the book, and sometimes we capitalize B for book, but it's actually not a book or just a book. It's actually a collection of 66 different books. More accurately, this thing could be described as a library, which sounds kind of fun. Who wanted to have a library in their house when they were younger? I can't wait to grow up, be an adult, and get at a library. Well, if you own a Bible, you have a library. There are 66 different books written by over 40 plus authors inspired by God himself to write these words. And the words were written in a span of over 1,500 plus years. And some of the writers of the books, they're, they're all over the place. We have Matthew who wrote a book in here who was a, a Jewish person who sold sold out basically, was working for the Roman government as a tax collector. We've got Luke, who was just a physician. He was a doctor, and he was just trying to write some things so that about Jesus and his life so other people would understand. We've got Ezra 
Ezra in the Old Testament, who was a priest writing some of the books. We've got prophets writing some of the books. We've got people writing letters to other people in here. And so there's all kinds of different authors and there's all kinds of different genres in the Bible as well. And what do I mean by that? The, the Bible is made up of historical narratives. Some of these are just history sort of books. And just so you know, secular or non-Christian historians say that the Bible is one of the best historical books we have from antiquity. Right? And these are non-Christians saying that. It's a tremendous historical book. But other genres include Hebrew poetry. Most of, much of the book of Psalms and some of the other Old Testament books are poetry. We've got books of wisdom. We've got books of prophecy. All kinds of different genres. And the reason I say these things to you is that it is imperative for us to understand what genre we're reading when we try to understand the Bible. Now, when it comes to the books of prophecy, and there are a lot of books of prophecy in the Old Testament, what I'm saying there is that God is using people, we call them prophets or prophetesses, to speak to his people um, typically about something that's about to take place in the future. So oftentimes God would come to his people and say, hey, I want you to be assured of some things. I know what's happening around you. I want to bless you in some things. And here's something that I'm going to do in the future. So when that thing happened in the future, they would all go, oh my goodness, God told us about this five years ago, a hundred years ago, eight centuries ago or something. And it's all designed to undergird our faith in God on these two points. God is sovereign and God is omniscient, which just means this. God is in control of everything. Yes? Yes, he is. He absolutely is in control of everything. And his omnipresence speaks to his knowledge of everything. He knows everything. And not just does he know everything, he knows what to do next. And if you're like me, sometimes that's the big struggle in my life. Lord, I don't know what to do next, but God does. And so these prophetic books that we read in the Old Testament would speak of the things that God was going to do. So today I just want to read a passage out of one book in the Old Testament from the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah has many prophecies about the coming kingdom of God. He has many prophecies about the life and death of Jesus. And these things were written eight centuries before Jesus was born. And I'll read one here that's probably real familiar to you and I think fits our uh, season that we're in right now. It's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The prophet speaking for God says these words. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Who do you think Isaiah is speaking about right there? Oh my gosh. I just, every week, I, the answer is Jesus. I'll never throw hard questions at you. These are the easy ones. <laughs> the answer is Jesus. Yes, that's eight centuries before Jesus was born. And God is prophetically saying, hey, I'm going to do something soon. I'm going to send someone. We call him the Messiah, which just means chosen one or anointed one. God has basically chosen one, and he's sending him. And he's coming this way. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which is just Hebrew for God is with us. Now, Isaiah has a lot to say about Jesus' life. 
But he also has a lot to say about the kingdom of God or God's eternal kingdom that he wants to establish through the work of his son, Jesus. We call this the messianic kingdom, if you will. And oftentimes when Isaiah spoke about this messianic kingdom or kingdom to come, he used metaphors to describe it. And one of his favorite metaphors of describing the coming kingdom was this, that it would be shelter from the storm. Three different times in Isaiah's book, he talks about the coming kingdom. It would be shelter for God's people from the storms that life can bring towards them. Now, here's what I want us to understand is that the Bible is replete with metaphors, right? And that makes some of us nervous. How many of us would agree that I'd rather the Bible just be a book of facts just a book of facts, just like a textbook. Just tell me everything I need to know about God. I don't want to have to imagine things or create things in my own mind. I just want someone to tell me what it means. And the Bible does some of that, but it also, and I think this is one of the most greatest, like, like the wisest thing God ever did was to actually put metaphors inside the Bible. And here's why. Because it causes us to use our imagination, our creativity to understand the concept that God is trying to convey to us. He could quite simply just give us a sentence to say what he wants to, but rather he invites us into this, uh, wrong word, this dance with him as he uses metaphors to describe concepts, to describe himself, to describe his kingdom, etc. Now, before you freak out, Jesus used metaphors about himself all the time. Should I give you a few? Jesus called himself bread. Was Jesus bread? No. Oh, God. No, he's not. How, how, how much do I have to say here? No, he was not bread, which is, you know, he, he said he was the bread of life, which for people who give up bread because of carbs, I'm just saying Jesus said he was bread. Why would you give up on Jesus? I'm just saying. <laughs> right. He said he was water. He said, if anyone drinks of me or the water that I give, that he would never thirst again. Jesus talking about his life mentioned likened it to a road. He says there's a, a road that's narrow that leads to life and one that's wide that leads to what? Destruction. And maybe most famously, he spoke of himself as a vine, like a, a trunk of a plant planted deep into the earth, drawing nutrients from the earth. And we, he sa says about us, we are what? We are branches that we are connected to Jesus who is the vine. Is Jesus a plant? <laughs> He is not, but do you see what this does for us? See, with the metaphor, when he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, we get to just like swim in creativity and imagination on what is God trying to convey to us? We think about vines needing tending. We think about vines producing fruit. We think about all of these other things. We think about vines having seasons of fruitfulness and, and dormancy and all of these things. And, and, and those things come into our understanding of who God is because of that simple metaphor. So I love the fact that God uses metaphors. I love the fact that the prophets use metaphors. And I love the idea that Isaiah says that God's kingdom is going to be shelter from the storm. So God's people will always find shelter from life's storms in him. So what does that really mean to us? Well, let's imagine for a moment what shelter is. If you've seen the movies or maybe read the news stories or whatever, that people oftentimes when they're caught in storms and they have no place to find refuge, they oftentimes die. 
that they, they lose their lives because they did not have covering. They couldn't get away from the wind or the cold or the heat or whatever it is. So when Isaiah is saying God's kingdom established will be shelter, what is he saying? It's going to be a place where people can not die, but what? Live. Oh my goodness, do you see this? So the metaphor of a shelter from the storm is not just, oh neat, it's a little like a tent out in the bush, you know, where you get to live, spend the night or whatever and cook over an open fire. No, he's saying the place where God's presence dwells and the things that he's establishing, it will bring life to his people. It'll bring safety to his people, help to his people, comfort to his people. He could have said all those things. Right, like I just did, but he didn't. He used a metaphor to explain it, and I love this. So we know that God's kingdom and the things that God wants to do is to bring life to us, and I think that's wonderful. Okay, that's my backstory. Now let's get into some Christmas time stuff. Yes, let's do that. So, um, regarding the virgin that's going to give birth, Mary, we know her name, right? I want to read. Um, a couple passages out of Luke chapter two. But before I get there, I just want to give you the sort of Cliff Notes version of the story that you've probably heard ad nauseum since you were a small child, right? But this is how it plays out. Mary was betrothed or engaged to a guy named Joseph. And all of a sudden she finds herself pregnant. Uh-oh, <laughs> right? What, what is going on? Joseph and Mary did not know each other that way. So Joseph, being a just man, the Bible says, decided to break up with her privately. Just, I'm gonna let you go, go on your way. Obviously, so you've been unfaithful to me. I'm going to go this way. You go that way. But an angel of the Lord came to Joseph and says, don't do that because this is, this is happening to her because of what was spoken by the prophet. Guess which prophet? Isaiah 714. It says, behold, the virgin, your soon to be wife will conceive, bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right? So there's the prophecy being fulfilled right here in the Christmas story. We continue. The baby is born, and all of a sudden, somewhere else in the world, there are some wise men, the Bible calls them, astrologers, learned individuals who see this mysterious star that showed up in the sky and knew that was a sign that a king of the Jews was born. And so they travel from wherever they were from, the east, whatever that means, to where Jesus was born. They go to Jerusalem, and they go into Jerusalem, they speak to Herod the king, and they say, hey, where is this new king that's been born? And Herod says, excuse me? <laughs> Like, he's the king, and he wants no new king. Does this make sense to you? In fact, Herod is known historically for killing two of his own sons because he thought they were transpiring against him to take his throne from him. So when these wise men show up and say, hey, there's a king that's been born, where is he? Herod says, I don't know, but let's find out. He, brought, he draws in the religious leaders, the scribes, they search the Old Testament scriptures, and they go, aha, Bethlehem is where the king is going to be born. Am I losing anyone? Are we good? Just, I'm having fun. You guys having fun? <laughs> I'm digging this. This is awesome. <laughs> so anyway, so they, they go to Bethlehem, and he says, go to Bethlehem and find the king that has been born. And when you find him, let me know, because I want to come and worship him too. Ha, ha. It just means I want to come kill him, is what that means. So the wise men follow the star to Bethlehem, and they find where Jesus was. And the wise men, it says, they begin to worship him. And it says that lay, they lay before him their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, whatever those things are, right? Then they go back to their own place. Now, here's where the, I want to uh, read some verses to you, and we'll put these words on the screen. You can follow with me. Chapter 2, verse 13. Now, it says, Now when they, the wise men, had departed, they left Joseph and Mary and Jesus, 
Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Verse 14. And so he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and he departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I will call my son. Now, that's another prophet. It's not Isaiah. It's a guy named Hosea. And it tells that something was going to happen. And this transpired to fulfill what Hosea said would happen. But I want us to pause for a moment and to consider the life that now Joseph and Mary and the young child Jesus find themselves in. They are running for their literal lives. That Herod, the king of the Jews, is coming to destroy their son. And an angel comes to warn them to leave. Now, I don't know about you, but this, metaphorically speaking, is a storm in their life. Would you agree? They're leaving everything they know to be common, everything they know to be normal, and moving seemingly overnight, packing up, traveling the 100-plus miles by donkey or camel or however they got around back then, and moving to Egypt, a different nation with a different people group, with different religions, with different languages, with all kinds of different things. Can you imagine the dad in this situation, Joseph, thinking to himself, oh my, however will I find work when we get there? Oh my, how am I going to provide for my family? Coincidentally, some wise men just dropped off some gold. We'll just leave that for you, right? Maybe that's how God wants to provide for them. I don't know. But just to say this, that a storm was ensuing in their lives. And the storm was not because of anything Joseph and Mary did. I want us to see that first. See, oftentimes the storms in our lives are caused by us. We create the chaos in our lives because what? We're idiots some days, yes? <laughs> amen, I got an amen for that. I'll take it. Yes, sometimes we make the worst decisions. We're selfish, we don't wanna follow God, we wanna follow our own ways, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in the midst of some turmoil. Yes, sometimes we deserve it, let's say. But not this case. This is one of those cases where they've done nothing and all of a sudden the world as they know it has been shaken and they're running for their lives. But if we think about the shelter, the shelter metaphor that Isaiah used, this cannot stand in God's kingdom, especially if he's going to usher it in through his son, Jesus. So if we go back to verse 13, we'll see two different things that take place. The first is at the second half of this verse, verse 13. It says, Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. I want you to see this. This is the opposite of life that God wants to give. This is the opposite. There is a, an antithesis to the life that God gives. It's something, someone seeking to destroy. Now, the Bible oftentimes talk about the destroyer or Satan or the devil who seeks um, people on the earth to destroy. But God wants us to have life. And because he wants us to have life and he wanted Joseph and Mary and Jesus to have life, he does something about the destroyer. He comes to Joseph with an angel in a dream and he warns him. God takes these words of warning, if you will, puts them in the angel's mouth. An angel, just so you know, just means messenger. And, and this messenger delivers the words or the message from God that you need to leave today. That God wants to and always will, hear me when I say this, use his words to take you to life. 
that his words will never take you to destruction. His words will never take you to death. His words will always be trustworthy and helpful to you. His words always take us to life. His words will always lead us to shelter in the midst of life's storms. Do you agree with me? I don't believe you. It's true, I tell you. Yes, that's what this story is reminding us of. So, Jesus flees with his family to Egypt for who knows how long we don't know. The Bible is quiet. But at some point, they make their way back into Israel. After Herod dies, they move back up into Nazareth where they settle there. And Jesus grows up in Nazareth. We don't hear much about him for about 30 years or so. And then out of nowhere, it seems, he breaks onto the scene. Jesus is now an adult, and he begins ministry. By ministry, I mean, I mean this. He's going to tell people about God's kingdom that is going to be established through him. The bread, the water, the road, right? The vine. He's going to do all of these works through him. And Jesus, when he begins his ministry, he preaches a sermon, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon. You can read it on your own, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And when Jesus is preaching this sermon, at the end of the message, as he closes his message, right, just as he's winding it down, he borrows back the metaphor from Isaiah about shelter from the storm. Let me read the words of Jesus and what he says here. Matthew chapter 7 Verse 24, everyone then, this is Jesus speaking, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. A sure foundation is the indication here. Verse 26, but he says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You see Jesus picking up this metaphor of shelter from the storm. He's saying in his sermon, which is sort of his treatise of what the kingdom of God is going to look like as it's ushered in through him, is going to look uniquely different than everything else you're familiar with. It's going to look and, and be different. And if a person were to take those words and to believe them and implement them into their lives, then when storms of life come against them, they will be safe. Why? Because God is building a shelter from the storm for his people. Jesus is simply saying, anyone who hears my message and receives it, they will find shelter. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, <laughs> you know, I present to you, you know, my hypothesis here. This is the gospel being presented to us. That anyone who would believe in the works of Jesus, sent by God the Father to redeem us, to save us, to rescue us from sin and death and the grave and to rescue us from our own ways and all of these things. Anyone who believes in those things will find shelter from the storm and ultimately will find shelter from the final storm that is death in our lives. When we stand before God at our, on our last day, will we walk into eternal life or into another place? 
those that receive this message of hope, of shelter in Jesus, or what Jesus says in, in John chapter 3, verse 3, born again, that they have been made new. And this is the message that we proclaim every year. And this is why we celebrate the birth of Jesus. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the smell of spruce in my house <laughs> or fur or whatever this is. <laughs> I love wasting, spending money on Christmas decorations <laughs> and sweaters that I'll never wear after today. I love all of those things. But most importantly, I love the Lord. I love God. I love the Father whose great love and care for me says, Jeff, you're going to need shelter someday. And here comes my son Jesus. The prophets promised it. Jesus has come. He has fulfilled what you could never do. And in faith in him, you can survive the greatest storms you could possibly imagine. And as we continue to believe that one by one by one by one by one, the church continues to grow. The church just meaning this, the ecclesia, the called out ones. This is what God, the Bible calls us who believe in Jesus, who are born again, that we begin to form this group. Uh, uh, metaphorically speaking, we become the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. Now let your mind wander in what that looks like for all eternity. Use your imagination and, and picture the jealousy that Jesus has for you when you turn away from him and, and chase after things from this world instead of things from heaven. You can imagine the jealousy that he feels for you when you decide not to lean in on him and find your own way. You can imagine the great love that he has for us. You see how the, the metaphors can help us? Now, all that to point to this reality. God is building his church, you and I. I. I know what you know. The church is not a building. Say amen. I know that. The building is the place where we oftentimes gather before COVID, right? Where we gather together to encourage one another, to help one another, to pray one another. The, the building is not the church. It is the people inside. But God is continuing to build his church through this message. And this Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus we celebrate the coming king, the Messiah, the savior, the redeemer, the rescuer into our lives. And we can follow him into and through the biggest storms we could possibly ever face. I'll close with this. Um, oftentimes, God's people would find themselves in desperate situations. The Bible's replete with story after story after story of God's, of God's people in trouble, needing help, and they would cry out to God, and they would say, God, would you help us? God, would you come to us? They would also oftentimes cry out, God, would you come and be with us, which, remember, is Emmanuel. And in so doing, God would meet them. God would come, and he would rescue them. He would do this time and time again, and he's not stopped doing things like that, even for us. We can imagine even our own darkest days when storms seem to be raging around us. And I know it's sort of um, many of us are tired of hearing 2020 has been a hard year. I know it has, and I'm sick of saying it myself. But some of us need to realize that it's been desperately hard for a lot of people. I'm really, really hard. Now, if you could just imagine, this is a storm that people can find shelter in should they turn to Jesus. This is a storm that you and I can find shelter in should we turn to Jesus. 
And so when storms come in, when the dark seems to crouch around us, when the winds seem to blow, whatever, pick, imagine what it is for you that is seeming to knock, or trying to knock you down. Jesus is there to hold us up. So just, yeah. <laughs> let, let, let's just pause and consider that. Let's just breathe that in for a moment. Can we get real weird all of a sudden? Close your eyes. Don't look at me. I'm looking at you. Oh, I see you. Your eyes are still open. You, let's close our eyes and let's just breathe in what God is doing. I'll pray over us. You can just... You can just agree with me in your heart. You can just agree by just, you know, quietly saying amen, which just, if you don't know what that means, amen just means I agree. It's just a, a churchy way of saying, yes, I, I agree, okay? So let me pray for all of us. God, I thank you for Jesus and everything. I thank you that he is the rock, that he's the sure foundation for us. That in whatever ways we try to traverse through and make our way through life, um, storms are going to come against us, but Jesus will always be faithful to us. Jesus will always be helpful to us. We can always trust God's word to be with us and to lead us into life and to spare us from destruction and death. God, we celebrate the birth of your son Jesus this year. We add it to all of the other celebrations that we'll have in a few weeks as we celebrate on Christmas morning. But God, would you just place inside of our hearts a genuine gratitude and thankfulness? Would you pull us out of, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, Lord, would you, just, would you just pull us back to that simple reminder that you love us and the proof is in Jesus. If you don't believe God's love for you, just look to Jesus is what God would say to us. So God, I thank you for that. God, would you be with us? And also, Lord, help us to call out for you when we need you. Help us to remember that you are available to us, God. Father, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at renaissancedecatur.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.